You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. As a part of NYSAC's month-long celebration of Women's History Month, this episode provides perspectives from women on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic and recognizes the large role that women in the public health space have taken on during this unprecedented year. Joining NYSAC's Legislative and Policy Coordinator Alex Lamont for this conversation are Sarah Ravenhall, Executive Director of the New York State Association of County Health Officials, and Dr. Indu Gupta, Commissioner of Health with Onondaga County and Vice President of NYSHO. Let's dive right into it. First, for the benefit of our audience who may not know what NYSHO is, can you talk a little bit about your membership and what you do? I'd be happy to, and thanks for having me. NYSHO was organized in 1979 as the Membership Association for the 58 local health departments in New York State. We provide technical assistance, training, advocacy, lobbying, and meeting opportunities for our membership. We have a staff of nine and a board of 12. And as you can imagine, we've been very engaged working full force ahead since the start of the pandemic. We are continually finding new ways to support our membership in the work that they do and elevating the importance of public health on both state and national levels. Thank you, Sarah. Now, Dr. Gupta, you've been in private practice as well as public health. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between those and what a county health commissioner typically does? Thank you, Alex, for for having me um, as well alongside with Sarah. So my journey in medicine started being an individual practitioner as I'm a trained internal medicine physician who took care of patients, you know, in, in the hospital, in the outpatient um, office. And uh, I was a business owner for quite some time and then transitioned into a large organization uh, in the last place I worked with UCLA where I was uh, <clears throat> taking care of patient, inpatient primarily and uh, was a teaching faculty. Um, My journey to public health started in my office when I took care of patients, in those hospital corridors, in those ICUs and emergency room, when I could see um, that there's so many things a health system is not able to handle. And uh, there are so much story behind each and every one of us, right? Every patient has its own story. When, when I was interacting with them, I, I was seeing one sort of a, like in a, you know, that time span that when they were sick, but before and after is the one which we really need to address. And that's how I started to, to understand that there's a, there's a landscape behind this portrait. So I was handling, addressing the portrait of the person, but to be a good physician, I really need to go beyond. And, uh, and that was amazing because that I think made me a better person, uh, a better physician. And I got to know my patients, you know, families, uh, they're all, everything goes around them and they got to know about me um, and their outcomes became great. I mean, I should have written some papers, I feel like sometimes, but uh, the, uh, the outcome of diabetes, uh, the outcome of uncontrolled diabetes, uh, hypertension, um, as well as uh, mental health, and so many things which you see in office that unless you go into the more in-depth of that, like what is the social determinants of health, which we call it nowadays, is the one which we need to handle in our health system. And 
I gradually um, um, started to shift my focus onto that by um, going to school. So I went to um, a um, uh, Syracuse University to do master's in public administration. And, uh, but I was still missing something and I did my MPH from Johns Hopkins uh, while I was in practice and you know, taking care of my family and my patients. And that was amazing journey. So it just uh, transitioning into public health was, uh, was a natural fit for me because this role in, as a commissioner of health has been provided me that opportunity in which I can um, look at the bigger picture and work alongside uh, with the other county agency, with the other community partners, uh, health systems, um, complementing the work which they are doing and with the one mission, with only one mission in my mind and in their mind too, I believe is to improve and protect health of our community members, one person at a time, but as a larger picture. So um, that is, a, in my, uh, my point of view, the health systems and public health, they complement each other. They are not exclusive. Uh, public health is not sitting on the shelf and it comes into when we have outbreaks and Ebola and emergencies. Public health is always there. It's working behind the scenes to make people's life better every single day. Absolutely. And that really speaks to the role that our public health officials and our local health departments played in our communities well before the pandemic and well before the general public knew who they were and what they do. So thank you, Dr. Gupta. This year, we've seen the field of public health be in the spotlight more than any time in a generation. What has it been like for you to work in a field that has all of a sudden become a major focal point in the media and in people's daily lives? So something we've been saying for years is people don't always realize what local health departments do or what public why public health services are important. And while the pandemic has been devastating in so many ways, one silver lining is the fact that the public is starting to make the connection between their local health departments and the life-saving services that they're providing. So terms like contact tracing, quarantine, vaccine administration, these are activities that are being operationalized at the local level by our members. And it's great to see that people are making the link between disease investigation and the role of local health departments. We're now um, under the spotlight with a platform that we can utilize to continue to build public trust and further public understanding of population health and health equity, core public health services and why it's important. What we really need and we hope to see moving forward is a top-down commitment to building and expanding our nation's public health infrastructure. And we really need the public to help us with that, to, to speak with their lawmakers and talk about why public health services are important for their families personally. So the attention I think has been advantageous, but it's also created a lot of challenges. Um, our role is to focus on public health, while making evidence-based recommendations about disease spread, how to protect yourself. And there have been times uh, where politics have played a role in the response, and that frankly hinders our ability to achieve better health outcomes. So the messaging that counties and local health departments are doing is really key here and truly central to the work that we're doing. So what I will just add, um, Alex, to this, what Sarah has said. So public health is a hidden force right, to protect health of the community every single moment, every day, seven days a week, 365 days. Um, so if you look into the a little bit more, this is Dr. Charles Winslow's definition of public health 
pretty much explains it, uh, explains it all and truly can explain the work happening right now, right? It seems like it was written in 1920, but it's so true 100 years later. So public health has been, public health has been defined as the science and art of preventing disease, prolonging life and improving quality of life through organized efforts and informed choices of society, organizations, public and private, communities and individual. So if you put this definition in the context of um, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's Ebola, uh, Zika, whether you think of the, uh, the overweight, obesity, um, diabetes, hypertension, this is so true. You can't do it alone. So public health, the county health departments have been at the forefront of it because they are so inclusive of everybody, right? They bring all the stakeholders together and, but they have been working behind quietly and the pandemic, it, it takes something like pandemic to bring them to become a sort of force. So everybody understand that, which, which is unfortunate, but that's the fact, but we are glad that we are there. So work of, you know, we, we are data-driven, performance-based, and, and also with the commitment for continuous improvement until the outcome is achieved. Um, so that is, that is very important for, uh, for everybody to remember that what is public health and then how it will continue to work pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic. Both of you have done such a great job of explaining why public health is important. And now we wanna to transition to talking specifically about why it's so important to have women in the field of public health. So next I want to ask, how has your identity as a woman helped you to empathize or foresee issues faced by women in public health during the pandemic in particular? So I'm excited about this question, but um, I've been really passionate about how highlighting how public health has touched my life as a sister, a daughter, a mother, person living with type 1 diabetes, and a pregnant woman now. Um, so when vaccines received their emergency use authorization, I knew immediately that I wanted to set an example for other pregnant women because of the limited data that's available on vaccine safety for, for uh, people who are pregnant. And um, being vaccinated is a personal choice, a decision that you make with your healthcare provider and I also know that health outcomes for pregnant women, particularly those living with comorbid conditions on top of pregnancy are really dangerous. So I've tried to utilize my identity as an expecting mother to set examples for others who may relate with that and have questions or are struggling to make a decision about becoming vaccinated. So um, I, a few weeks ago, went to get my first dose of vaccine and it was an incredibly emotional experience for me really exciting. Um, I took great pride in messaging to my family, friends, um, in the public via our networks about the informed decision that I made. Um, and I just want people to know that they should feel empowered to make decisions about their health. And um, I wanted to demonstrate my decision to, to step up and do that during this pandemic and in my role as a public health leader. So I think um, just to add to a little bit I'm just going to go back that so being a physician and 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 a mom as well as a commissioner at this point, um, it's has been quite important uh, because a lot of times um, there is a um, there is a confidence which women bring to the table, right? There is a um, there's more empathy. A lot of times people do. I think it has been that women 
communicate more effectively, they collaborate, the team builder. Um, uh, there are, uh, as a practicing physician, which I know that um, I had uh, families will become my patients starting with the female um, of the family. And then after that, uh, one after another one, they will bring their husband, they will bring their, um, their, their son or daughter. And one of those things I repeatedly heard and I just felt very kind of at awe that they felt like we feel very comfortable talking to you because you're a woman doctor. You know, it was kind of a little surprising, was a happy thing. And um, I cannot say that as a, um, as a commissioner um, that I can say that that could be true just because I don't have that sort of interaction. Uh, but when I interact at least with the public, with the media or with any community leaders, and the same principles are applicable there um, in terms of inclusiveness, including of team building, including of listening to everybody's uh, concept uh, understanding so that how can be successful in, in this difficult time uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, so I think it is, um, it is important um, from that point of view. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by AT&T, which provides the nation's first net service the only nationwide wireless broadband communications platform dedicated to America's first responders and public safety community. This reliable, highly secure communications platform is exclusively for first responders and those that support their vital efforts. For more information, please go to www.firstnet.com. Now, Sarah, you alluded to this in talking about how pregnancy might impact women's attitudes towards the vaccine and its safety, but I'd love for both of you to expand upon how the pandemic has impacted women differently than men and people of other genders throughout um, the past year. Right, and from a social and economic standpoint, we know that women have been significantly impacted by the pandemic. Um, Recent data shows that women lost more jobs in men than 2020. Um, CNN reported data that women ended 2020 with 5.4 million fewer jobs than they had in February before the pandemic began, while men lost 4.4 million jobs over that same time period. So um, diving a little bit deeper into that, why is that the case? Essential workers are more likely to be um, women, if you're talking about healthcare, um, local health departments, anybody working in medical supplies, retail, grocery stores, home health aides, um, nursing home workers, these are industries that are more likely to employ women. And there's also um, often less flexibility in terms of being able to call out because your childcare isn't going to come through or um, you know you don't have as much ability to work remotely, if at all. So, um, and then furthermore, women are care are the caregivers oftentimes. So it makes it really challenging to balance the impact we have seen with schools and daycares with these essential jobs. So that's one example of how women have been impacted by the pandemic. So from from. Um... County Health Department point of view, as, as I see our data, 
it just becomes somewhere the same thing is health equity issue. Uh, if they are the caregivers, if you can see um, many of the caregivers, um, both at home and in the hospitals, you see a lot of nurses um, who have been at the forefront of it. They are the one who became um, sort of a victim of the virus also. So that impacted their work when they lost jobs. That certainly they have to take care of it, staying home and being a mom because the kids couldn't go to school. Um, and also impacting, um, impacting um, in, in general, the cases. Um, there has been some variation, um, whether women are getting more impacted by COVID or, or men are. Um, I think in our community, more females actually had, were more impacted than the men. But in terms of um, hospitalizations, they're about the same, a little bit um, males were more hospitalized um, in our community. So um, health equity certainly becomes a factor because a lot of times, um, I think one of those things is um, domestic violence, all these things because people, um, um, if they have lost their jobs, they're at home, um, they become uh, much more uh, impacted by, uh, by impact of domestic violence because they, are, they can't go out and be in a safer place. So I think it's important to keep that in mind that um, isolation um, of, because of because of pandemic um, has created much worse, much worse problem um, in those situations for women. Very important. Thank you for that, Dr. Gupta. Now, this podcast is brought to you by NYSAC's Women Leadership Council, which is the only statewide organization that offers resources specifically for women in county government. We want to be sure to talk about leadership today and specifically your leadership journeys as executive director of NYSACHO and as the public health commissioner for Onondaga County. So my next question is about the attention that has been paid this month in particular to women in leadership positions and how difficult it can be for women to ascend to leadership roles. So I wanna ask both of you, what kind of challenges have you faced on your journey and how have they prepared you for the crisis that we're currently in? So I find that sometimes demonstrated empathy and sensitivity that are traits that I identify with as a woman can be linked to a misunderstanding that women leaders aren't strong or powerful. Um, and it's because of this that, or this experience that I've had that I really grab onto every challenge that comes my way and I use it to shape my skills, my resiliency, adaptability, um, ability to work under pressure. And everybody's gonna emerge from this pandemic, um, a different person, perhaps a stronger person, and I think we should all collectively take pride in what we've been through over the last year. It hasn't been easy. Um, you know, like others, I, uh, my workload in this role has in intensified by, you know, fivefold. Um, so work-life balance and caring for my mental health have been an evolving challenge, something that I'm always um, continually working on. Um, but serving as a leader for the association right now has been so incredibly important because it's the work of our members at the local health departments, many of whom are women, um, that has really inspired me to keep persevering through all of this. And um, I've definitely acquired skills over the last year that will prepare me for future public health crises. And working in public health, we know that there will be more public health crises on the horizon that we'll have to address. 
So from uh, just to um, just to add to that is from uh, a point of view of a um, county health commissioner, which is we are sort of a you know mid to large size county. Um, the women bring to the table um, because of their inherent qualities of um, taking care of the you know, everybody that's pretty much built into that. They see more of a holistic picture. Um, there are, I, I think, are more effective communicator um, and are willing to listen to the other side much more. And that's how they are able to build teams much, much better. Um, they seem like more reachable down to earth uh, most of the time so people can feel comfortable um, it could it could be true for many men, you know men in leadership also, but women have are unique just because of certain characteristics we all bring it. I do believe women um, do explain better, don't use big jargons, and can be trusted. Um, I think these these things are very important um, for for all of us to to do the problem solving. And if we have those characteristics, um, we can actually do the better problem solvers with, because of the broad thinking cap and collaboration and team, team builder nature of ours inherently. Um, I, I do believe that is a uniqueness of women. Uh, it's not only that I think others can't do, but I'm a woman, so I can speak only on my behalf as a woman. I don't know how it feels to be like a man. so. I'm just going to only speak that what is, what my personal experience have been working with women um, and also the way I see the world is more of an inclusivity and then learning from um, others and continue to be a lifelong learner. That makes you a better leader. Thank you. And that is a great transition to my next question. If either of you would like to expand upon the advantages of having women in positions of leadership, especially in the public health field. No, I think Dr. Gupta has um, mentioned some really impressive characteristics of women, um, but there are so many advantages. Um, women are multitaskers. We're creative. We're innovative. We prioritize teamwork. Um, we're enthusiastic about taking on challenges. Um, being an empathizer is so important. I could go on and on, but I think, you know, truly it's important that ensuring that we ensure that our work environment, which is somewhere we spend a lot of our time is balanced from an equity standpoint. We want women in leadership to inspire the next generation of women that will follow in our footsteps and the contributions of women to the public health landscape and all sectors of the workforce will help to inform that future innovation and inclusivity. So um, not only do we need women in leadership positions, but we need diverse representation from women in these positions as well. Yes, I would echo that exactly what, what Sarah said that we need diversity. Diversity means women and men and they all from all different backgrounds. Because when you have people from all different backgrounds, they bring those um, difficulties, those barriers which are faced by them, by them, I think at every level. Um, and that includes, um, you know, beyond gender. Uh, I think we, that diversity is a broader term. Uh, so it's not only uh, gender defined, like a sex defined, 
So it has to be broader than that. And diversity brings a very different perspective from all. And when we have different perspective, we certainly are going to be able to solve the problem in a much, much better way um, and in a many difficult situation. So the, the, uh, the field of public health um, really needs those different uh, perspectives, different faces, different backgrounds to bring the best solutions to make sure our community stays uh, safe. Anything which comes our way are able to address them uh, by learning from each other. Uh, so that, and then of course, you know, following the science and everything is a natural thing, but also culturally, um, from different backgrounds, uh, then we can achieve our better outcome. Uh, as we are trying to do the same thing in pandemic at this time, when we are going through, you know, um, whether when we did the case investigation or contact tracing, uh, when we dealt with somebody who is English speaking versus somebody who is not a native English speaker versus from different um, ethnic background um, and uh, racial and ethnic background, uh, the same thing is true in, in vaccination also that people's perception is, could be very different. You, same sentence can seem very different for uh, two different people of two different backgrounds. So how do you handle that? How do you address that to find the right outcome to make sure that people uh, follow the, you know, our case investigation, contact tracing directions in terms of isolation and quarantine and also get vaccinated if we speak the same language? How do we speak the same language unless we engage those people and those people are not in the workforce of the public health? Um, we won't be able to get that understanding. So I think to have the robust, diverse background um, of the public health workforce for the, for the future of the public health is really uh, utmost importance and needed. And any leader who comes to, to this role should be looking to make their departments better at every step of the way. And that's the way we can, we can take any challenge at that time, right? Because you can, you can see that we are learning from all and bringing everyone at the same table. Absolutely. Now we know that one of the challenges facing women in leadership and specifically in the scientific fields is that they're unjustly viewed sometimes as less credible. So have you experienced that? And how do you handle issues of credibility in your role as a public health official, as you're trying to combat misinformation and encourage the adoption of social distancing, contact tracing and vaccination and all of these other public health practices that are so important to promote and to have people engage with in our communities? I'm gonna let uh, Dr. Gupta speak to this one as a public official and as NYCHO's incoming president. Um, I've seen our members do an incredible job of this locally and Dr. Gupta is no exception. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so um, I personally do not feel that women are seen less credible because if you see more women actually are enrolled in colleges and uh, medical schools. Um, when I was growing up, my father um, was so great impact on my life because he wanted his little girl to do the best. And so was my mother, right? Women empowered, girl empowerment was the very key part of that. And I personally never felt that way. I was always student of science. I, you know, took the, all the science and went to med school and went to 
to do all these journey in my incredible journey in my life uh, because I felt that I was capable of because I have good education. Um, the, I think a lot of times is we really need to the women. Um, I mean, personally, I never believed, I, I personally never felt this way. So I cannot comment on any of these things, which I never thought, but I do believe that as a health commissioner, uh, because I present the data and information in a very simple way and a succinct way and very clear way with the references, whether it's a media, whether it's uh, any other uh, school districts or a community members, that it's much easily understandable by them. And they get it. They get it. As, as we are speaking, I put it out actually a recommendation um, to reduce the physical distancing from six feet to three feet in our, our schools in our Anandaya County um, more than a week ago. And uh, I explained to them, I'm working on a final paper and with all the references. So, and they, the reporters ask all the questions and uh, superintendents ask a lot, all the questions. And when you have a, when you have a background, when you can give that information to them based on what has, has been proven then they see, you, they see you as a credible person. And this is not only in pandemic, even before when we have water crisis, when we have you know, a lot of things in the, in the past, when we have Zika issue, when we have Ebola issues, people come and see you as a credible messenger because you're transparent, because you are providing that information. You're not just saying it because you believe in it, it's your own personal agenda because that science tells you and, and, and your communication has to be very explicit about that. Once you establish that, then uh, people actually do believe what you say. And I, I do believe that um, my, in my community, and I think many of all, all the public health directors and commissioner, they have a really credible standing throughout their um, health departments. Um, I do believe that is the case. Thank you, Dr. Guba. We're so lucky to have great public health leaders like you who help us to break down complicated information. You know, this very complicated uh, scientific information we've all been dealing with for the last year so that we can communicate it to the public and we can also use your knowledge to inform public county leaders who help to lead the pandemic response. I want to end with two forward thinking questions for both of you. The first is what do you think the field of public health looks like for women in the future? And what advice do you have for women looking to ascend to leadership positions in government and in public health in particular? Oh, so, oh, go, ahead. oh go ahead, Dr. Gupta. So I just wanted to see that future um, of public health field um, for women, I think it's excellent. Um, I hope both women and men actually are inspired and want to work in this field because there's so much we could do, right? Uh, what I would like to add that like um, a broader stroke to the future of public health that if every profession embodies concept of public health, we will be a healthier nation in the world. And that is, um, that is a very simple statement, but it is very important. Um, and that's why I'm so inspired by the work being done at this point uh, by everyone that I'm, I'm hoping the future generation um, of women and men both are inspired to be a public health 
um, leaders uh, and workers to change the trajectory, to change the world and make it healthier and prosperous here. Um, and uh, I think, what was your second question? Sorry. The second question is, what advice do you have for women who are looking to ascend to leadership positions, both in county government and in the public health field? Right, right. So I think I'll just finish um, with by saying that um, to going into the public health, um, especially whether it's a public health um, entry or a leadership, you start somewhere, right? Be clear in your goals. Find a mentor. I think it's very important. Start from the beginning. Uh, you have to prepare. You have to persist. Persistence prevails. I always believe that. Preparation prevents failure, right? So we really need to make ourselves look at the bigger picture. Ask tough questions and don't be timid and set a time table for your goals. It is important. And when you get your door in, um, then uh, be comfortable in yourself. It is important and be in your comfort zone. And one, one thing I remember, my mother um, gave me some, some good tips. I never thought they would be tips. She used to talk to me. We used to talk about a lot of those things. She was very women empowerment, girl empowerment um, uh, sort of a mother. And uh, she said it, you have to respect yourself first. If you want others to be respected, start with yourself. If you respect, everybody will respect you. And that's where I think self-confidence is so important that believing in yourself, being clear in your goals, trusting yourself and advocating for yourself and your clients in the community and be a lifelong student. These will be my advice to anybody. And Sarah can add to that. I agree with Dr. Gupta. I think um, the future of public health looks promising. Um, now that we're under this microscope, we're, we're certainly fighting for more resources to help increase the flow of public health funding, which will ultimately allow us to hire more public health professionals. And we are seeing a record-breaking number of early retirements, departures from all levels of public health um, within the state and nation. So we're really gonna need bright minds to bring new expertise to the field. Um, and of course, health equity underpins everything we do. So we really wanna hire diverse workers who represent the communities that we serve um, and ultimately reduce gaps in gender, race, ethnicity variation in the workplace as well. Um, in regard to recommendations for um, newcomers to the field, don't give up, don't hold back, pursue all opportunities that come your way ask questions, but also take time to listen, um, work hard, take care of yourself and those that you love. Um, and we can't wait to welcome you to the public health landscape. Thank you so much, Sarah Ravenhall, Executive Director of the New York State Association of County Health Officials and Dr. Indu Gupta, the Onondaga Commissioner of Health. We cannot thank you enough for all you have done over the past year to lead the pandemic response and all that you continue to do for non-pandemic public health related activities to keep our communities healthy. Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to offer to our listeners and specifically to women who are interested in joining the public health field? I would say that it's, um, it's a great field to be in um, it's a great service to the community um, and to make our community better. I think engaging um, everyone at the earlier level is a good one. So I, I don't know whether it's a last comment. I, I think I 
we said quite a bit before, so I'm not sure whether we needed to add anything more. I want to thank all of the hardworking women, uh, public health professionals at the local health department who have been just working endlessly, Dr. Gupta, you, you included, um, to protect our communities during the COVID-19 pandemic and, and far prior to that. Um, offering core public health services to communities. I'm, I'm just really impressed and I've been learning so much from all of you and I'm inspired by you every day. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of NYSAC's County Conversations podcast. Keep tuning in to hear more insightful interviews on policy and innovative solutions at the county level. And feel free to reach out to our staff if there is a topic you would like to hear us discuss on the podcast.